5. Saccharification and fermentation. It replaces the diastase of malt grain and also the yeast of a European brewery. Another liquid of interest is Weissbier. This, which is largely produced in Berlin and in some respects resembles the wheat beer produced in parts of England, is generally prepared from a mash of three parts of wheat malt and one part of barley malt. The fermentation is of a symbiotic nature. Two organisms, namely a yeast and a fish and fungus the lactic acid bacillus taking part in it. The preparation of this peculiar double ferment is assisted by the addition of a certain quantity of white wine to the yeast prior to fermentation. Brewing Chemistry The principles of brewing technology belong for the most part to physiological chemistry, whilst those of the cognate industry, malting, are governed exclusively by that branch of knowledge, alike in following the growth of barley in field, its harvesting, maturing and conversion into malt, as well as the operations of mashing malt, fermenting wort, and conditioning beer. Physiological chemistry is needed, on the other hand, the consideration of the saline matter in waters, the composition of the extract of worts and beers, and the analysis of brewing materials and products generally, belong to the domain of pure chemistry, since the extractive matters contained in wort and beer consist for the most part of the transformation products of starch, it is only natural that these should have received special attention at the hands of scientific men associated with the brewing industry. It was formerly believed that by the action of diastase on starch the latter is first converted into a dummy substance termed dextrin, which is then subsequently transformed into a sugar glucose, F.A. musculus. However, in 1860, showed that sugar and dextrin are simultaneously produced, and between the years 1872 and 1876 Cornelius O'Sullivan definitely proved that the sugar produced was maltose, when starch paste. The jelly formed by treating starch with boiling water, is mixed with iodine solution. A deep blue coloration results, the first product of starch degradation by either acids or diastase, namely soluble starch, also exhibits the same coloration when treated with iodine, as degradation proceeds, and the products become more and more soluble and diffusible. The blue reaction with iodine gives place first to a purple, then to a reddish color, and finally the coloration ceases altogether. In the same way, the optical rotating power decreases, and the cupric reducing power towards fillings solution increases. As the process of hydrolysis proceeds, C.O. Sullivan was the first to point out definitely the influence of the temperature of the mash on the character of the products. The work of Horace T. Brown with J. Heron extended that of O'Sullivan, and with G.H. Morris established the presence of an intermediate product between the higher dextrins and maltose. This product was termed maltodextrin and Brown and Morris were led to believe that a large number of these substances existed in malt wort. They proposed for these substances the generic name, amyloins, although according to their view they were compounds of maltose and dextrin. They had the properties of mixtures of these two substances. On the assumption of the existence of these compounds, Brown and his colleagues formulated what is known as the maltodextrin or amyloin hypothesis of starch degradation. C.J. Lindner, in 1891 claimed to have separated a sugar, isomeric with maltose, which is termed isomaltose, from the products of starch hydrolysis, A.R. Ling and J.L. Baker, as well as Brown and Morris, in 1895, proved that this isomaltose was not a homogeneous substance, and evidence tending to the same conclusion was subsequently brought forward by continental workers, Ling and Baker, in 1897 isolated the following compounds from the products of starch hydrolysis maltodextrin alpha, 
CHO and maltodextrin beta, CHO previously named by prior, acrodextrin III, they also separated a substance, CHO isomeric with maltose, which had, however, the characteristics of a dextrin. This is probably identical with the so-called dextrinose isolated by Wiesenjewski in 1902, which yields a phenylosisone melting at 80 to 83 degrees C. It has been proved by H. Ost that the so-called isomaltose of Lindner is a mixture of maltose and another substance, maltodextrin, isomeric with Ling and Baker's maltodextrin beta, Bethereum Brown and Morris of the degradation of starch, although based on experimental evidence of some weight is by no means universally accepted, nevertheless it is of considerable interest, as it offers a rational and consistent explanation of the phenomena known to accompany the transformation of starch by diastase, and even if not strictly correct it has, at any rate, proved itself to be a practical working hypothesis, by which the mashing and fermenting operations may be regulated and controlled, according to Brown and Morris, the starch molecule consists of five amylin groups, each of which corresponds to the molecular formula CHO4 of these amylin radicals are grouped centrally round the fifth. Thus, CHO 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 by the action of diastase, this complex molecule is split up, undergoing hydrolysis into four groups of amyloins, the fifth or central group remaining unchanged and under brewing conditions unchangeable, forming the substance known as stable dextrin. When diastase acts on starch paste, Hydrolysis proceeds as far as the reaction represented by the following equation, 5CHO80H2O starch, water, 80CHOCHO maltose, stable dextrin. The amyloins are substances containing varying numbers of amylin original starch or dextrin groups in conjunction with a proportional number of maltose groups. They are not separable into maltose and dextrin by any of the ordinary means, but exhibit the properties of mixtures of these substances. As the process of hydrolysis proceeds, the amyloins become gradually poorer in amylin and relatively richer in maltose groups. The final products of transformation, according to Brown and J.H. Miller, are maltose and glucose, which latter is derived from the hydrolysis of the stable dextrin. This theory may be applied in practical brewing in the following manner. If it is desired to obtain a beer of a stable character that is to say, one containing a considerable proportion of high type amyloins it is necessary to restrict the action of the diastase in the mash tun accordingly. On the other hand, for mild running ales, which are to condition rapidly, it is necessary to provide for the presence of sufficient maltodextrin of a low type. Investigation has shown that the type of maltodextrin can be regulated, not only in the mash tun but also on the malt kiln. A higher type is obtained by low kiln and high mashing temperatures than by high kiln and low mashing heats, and it is possible therefore to regulate, on scientific lines, not only the quality but also the type of amyloins which are suitable for a particular beer. The chemistry of the nitrogenous constituents of malt is equally important with that of starch and its transformations, without nitrogenous compounds of the proper type, vigorous fermentations are not possible. It may be remembered that yeast assimilates nitrogenous compounds in some of their simpler forms amides and the like. One of the aims of the Maltster Island therefore, to break down the protein substances present in barley to such a degree that the wort has a maximum nutritive value for the yeast. Further, it is necessary for the production of stable beer to eliminate a large proportion of nitrogenous matter, and this is only done by the yeast when the proteins are degraded. There is also some evidence that the presence of albumoses assists in producing the foaming properties of beer. 
it has now been established definitely, by the work of A. Fernbach, W. Weindisch, F. Weiss and Fischidrotz, that finished malt contains at least two proteolytic enzymes a peptic and a pancreatic enzyme. Illustration, Brewing Play I Figure 5, Refrigerators in, Lager, Brewery of MESSRs, ALLSOPP, the hot wort trickles over the outside of the series of pipes, and is cooled by the cold water which circulates in them. From the shallow collecting trays the cooled wort is conducted to the fermenting bags. Illustration, Brewing Plate II. Figure 6, Burton Union System of Cleansing, MESSRs, ALLSOPP's Brewery. The green beer is filled into the casks, and the excess of yeast, and C, then works out through the swan necks into the long common gutter shown. V.04P.0513 The presence of different types of phosphates in malt, and the important influence which, according to their nature, they exercise in the brewing process by way of the enzymes affected by them, have been made the subject of research mainly by Ferndock and A. Hubert, and by P. E. Petty and G. Labris. The number of enzymes which are now known to take part in the brewing process is very large. They may with utility be grouped as follows, name, role or nature. Cytase dissolves cell walls of starch granules. In the malt diastase aliquify starch or mash ton. Diastase B. saccharifi starch. Proteolytic enzymes 1 peptic, 2 pancreatic. Catalase splits peroxides. In fermenting invertase inverts cane sugar. Wort and glucase splits maltose into glucose. Yeast. Zymase splits sugar into alcohol and carbonic acid. Bibliography. W.J. Sykes. Principles and Practice of Brewing London. 1897, Moritz and Morris, a textbook of the science of brewing London, 1891, H.E. Wright, a handy book for brewers London, 1897, Frank Thatcher, Brewing and Malting London, 1898, Julian L. Baker, The Brewing Industry London, 1905, E.J. Lindner, Grundriss Deer Beer Brewery I. Berlin, 1904, J.D. Bowsing. My Theory on Praxis Deer Malsbury Tongue and Beer Fabricat I. Leipzig, 1898, E. Mitchell, Blairbook Deer Beer Brewery I. Augsburg, 1900, E. Pryor, Chemie U. Physiologie des Malses and des Beers Leipzig, 1896, Technical Journals, The Journal of the Institute of Brewing London, The Brewing Trade Review London, The Brewer's Journal London, The Brewer's Journal New York, Wokenschrift Führer Brewery Berlin, Zietrift Führer Dies Gesamte Brauweis in Munich. P.S. They were classified at 28 pounds in 1896, but since 1897 the standard has been at the rate of 32 pounds to the bushel, inclusive of rice and maize, exclusive of rice and maize. As a rule there is no separate, collecting vessel, duty being assessed in the fermenting vessels. B.R.E.W.S. Dear, Sir David 1781-1868. Scottish natural philosopher, was born on the 11th of December 1781 at Jedburgh, where his father, a teacher of high reputation, was rector of the grammar school. At the early age of 12 he was sent to the University of Edinburgh, being intended for the clerical profession. Even before this, however, he had shown a strong inclination for natural science, and this had been fostered by his intimacy with a self-taught philosopher, astronomer and mathematician as Sir Walter Scott called him, of great local fame James Beach of Inchbonny, who was particularly skillful in making telescopes, though he duly finished his theological course and was licensed to preach. Brewster's preference for other pursuits prevented him from engaging in the active duties of his profession. In 1799 he was induced by his fellow student, Henry Broom, 
to study the diffraction of light. The results of his investigations were communicated from time to time in papers to the Philosophical Transactions of London and other scientific journals, and were admirably and impartially summarized by James T. Forbes in his preliminary dissertation to the 8th edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. The fact that other philosophers, notably Etienne Louis Malouz and Augustin Fresnel, were pursuing the same investigations contemporaneously in France does not invalidate Brewster's claim to independent discovery. Even though in one or two cases the priority must be assigned to others, the most important subjects of his inquiries are enumerated by Forbes under the following five heads, one the laws of polarization by reflection and refraction, and other quantitative laws of phenomena, to the discovery of the polarizing structure induced by heat and pressure, three the discovery of crystals with two axes of double refraction, and many of the laws of their phenomena including the connection of optical structure and crystalline forms, for the laws of metallic reflection, five experiments on the absorption of light. In this line of investigation the prime importance belongs to the discovery one of the connection between the refractive index and the polarizing angle, two of biaxial crystals, and three of the production of double refraction by irregular heating. These discoveries were promptly recognized. So early as the year 1807 the degree of LL.D. was conferred upon Brewster by Mariscal College, Aberdeen. In 1815 he was made a member of the Royal Society of London, and received the Copley Medal. In 1818 he received the Rumford Medal of the Society, and in 1816 the French Institute awarded him one half of the prize of 3,000 francs for the two most important discoveries in physical science made in Europe during the two preceding years. Among the non-scientific public his fame was spread more effectually by his rediscovery about 1815 of the kaleidoscope, for which there was a great demand in both England and America, an instrument of higher interest, the stereoscope, which, though of much later date 1849-1850, may be mentioned here, since along with the kaleidoscope he did more than anything else to popularize his name, was not, as has often been asserted, the invention of Brewster. Sir Charles Wheatstone discovered its principle and applied it as early as 1838 to the construction of a cumbrous but effective instrument, in which the binocular pictures were made to combine by means of mirrors. To Brewster is due the merit of suggesting the use of lenses for the purpose of uniting the dissimilar pictures, and accordingly the lenticular stereoscope may fairly be said to be his invention. A much more valuable practical result of Brewster's optical researches was the improvement of the British lighthouse system. It is true that the dioptric apparatus was perfected independently by Fresnel, who had also the satisfaction of being the first to put it into operation, but it is indisputable that Brewster was earlier in the field than Fresnel, that he described the dioptric apparatus in 1812, that he pressed its adoption on those in authority at least as early as 1820, two years before Fresnel suggested it, and that it was finally introduced into British lighthouses mainly by his persistent efforts. Brewster's own discoveries, important though they were, were not his only, perhaps not even his chief, service to science. He began literary work in 1799 as a regular contributor to the Edinburgh Magazine, of which he acted as editor at the age of 20. In 1807 he undertook the editorship of the newly projected Edinburgh Encyclopedia, of which the first part appeared in 1808, and the last not until 1830. The work was strongest in the scientific department and many of its most valuable articles were from the pen of the editor. At a later period he was one of the leading contributors to the Encyclopedia Britannica 7th and 8th editions. The articles on electricity, hydrodynamics, magnetism, microscope, 
optics, stereoscope, voltaic electricity, and C. Being from his pen, in 1819 Brewster undertook further editorial work by establishing, in conjunction with Robert Jameson 1774-1854, the Edinburgh Philosophical Journal, which took the place of the Edinburgh Magazine. The first ten volumes 1819-1824 were published under the joint editorship of Brewster and Jameson, the remaining four volumes 1825-1826 being edited by Jameson alone. After parting company with Jameson, Brewster started the Edinburgh Journal of Science in 1824, 16 volumes of which appeared under his editorship during the years 1824-1832, with very many articles from his own pen. To the transactions of various learned societies he contributed from first to last between three and four hundred papers, and few of his contemporaries wrote so much for the various reviews. In the North British Review alone 75 articles of his appeared. A list of his larger separate works will be found below. Special mention, however, must be made of the most important of them all his biography of Sir Isaac Newton. In 1831 he published a short popular account of the philosopher's life in Murray's family library, but it was not until 1855 that he was able to issue the much fuller memoirs of the life, writings and discoveries of Sir Isaac Newton a work which embodied the results of more than 20 years' patient investigation of original manuscripts and all other available sources. Brewster's relations as editor brought him into frequent communication with the most eminent scientific men, and he was naturally among the first to recognize the benefit that would accrue from regular intercourse among workers in the field of science. In an article in the Quarterly Review he threw out a suggestion for an association of our nobility, clergy, gentry and philosophers which was taken up by others and found speedy realization in the British Association for the Advancement of B.04P.0514 Science. Its first meeting was held at York in 1831, and Brewster, along with Charles Babbage and Sir John F. W. Herschel, had the chief part in shaping its constitution. In the same year in which the British Association held its first meeting, Brewster received the honor of knighthood and the decoration of the Guelphic Order of Hanover. In 1838 he was appointed principal of the United Colleges of St. Salvador and St. Leonard, St. Andrews. In 1849 he acted as president of the British Association and was elected one of the eight foreign associates of the Institute of France in succession to J.J. Bursley's, and ten years later he accepted the office of principal of the University of Edinburgh, the duties of which he discharged until within a few months of his death, which took place at Hallerley, Melrose on the 10th of February 1868. In estimating Brewster's place among scientific discoverers the chief thing to be borne in mind is that the bent of his genius was not characteristically mathematical. His method was empirical, and the laws which he established were generally the result of repeated experiment. To the ultimate explanation of the phenomena with which he dealt he contributed nothing, and it is noteworthy in this connection that if he did not maintain to the end of his life the corpuscular theory he never explicitly adopted the undulatory theory of light. Few will be inclined to dispute the verdict of Forbes, his scientific glory is different in kind from that of Young and Fresnel, but the discoverer of the law of polarization of biaxial crystals, of optical mineralogy, and of double refraction by compression, will always occupy a foremost rank in the intellectual history of the age. In addition to the various works of Brewster already noticed, the following may be mentioned, Notes and Introduction to Carlyle's Translation of Lachandre's Elements of Geometry 1824, Treatise on Optics 1831, Letters on Natural Magic, 
addressed to Sir Walter Scott 1831, The Martyrs of Science, or The Lives of Galileo, Tycho Brahe, and Kepler 1841, More Worlds Than One 1854, See The Home Life of Sir David Brewster, by his daughter Mrs. Gordon, B.R.E.W.S. Dear, William C. 1566-1644, American colonist, one of the leaders of the Pilgrims, was born at Scrooby, in Nottinghamshire, England, about 1566. After studying for a short time at Cambridge, he was from 1584 to 1587 in the service of William Davison, 1541-1608, who in 1585 went to the Low Countries to negotiate an alliance with the States General and in 1586 became assistant to Walsingham, Queen Elizabeth's Secretary of State. Upon the disgrace of Davison, Brewster removed to Scrooby, where from 1590 until September 1607 he held the position of post or postmaster responsible for the relays of horses on the post road, having previously, for a short time, assisted his father in that office. About 1602 his neighbors began to assemble for worship at his home, the Scrooby Manor House, and in 1606 he joined them in organizing the separatist church at Scrooby, after an unsuccessful attempt in 1607 for which he was imprisoned for a short time. He, with other separatists, removed to Holland in 1608 to obtain greater freedom of worship. At Leiden in 1609 he was chosen ruling elder of the congregation. In Holland he supported himself first by teaching English and afterwards in 1616-1619, as the partner of one Thomas Brewer, by secretly printing, for sale in England, books proscribed by the English government. Thus, says Bradford, having employment enough. In 1619 their types were seized and Brewer was arrested by the authorities of the University of Leiden, acting on the instance of the British ambassador, Sir Dudley Carleton, Brewster, however, escaped, and in the same year, with Robert Cushman C. 1580-1625, obtained in London, on behalf of his associates, a land patent from the Virginia Company. In 1620 he emigrated to America on the Mayflower, and was one of the founders of the Plymouth Colony. Here besides continuing until his death to act as ruling elder, he was also regularly until the arrival of the first pastor, Ralph Smith D. 1661, in 1629 and irregularly afterward a teacher, preaching both powerfully and profitably to a ye great contentment of ye hearers and their comfortable edification. By many he is regarded as preeminently the leader of the pilgrims. He died, probably on the 10th of April 1644. See Ashbill Steele's Chief of the Pilgrims, or The Life and Time of William Brewster Philadelphia, 1857, and a sketch in William Bradford's History of the Plymouth Plantation New Education Boston, 1898. B.R.E.Z. The name of a noble Angevin family, the most famous member of which was Pierre de B.R.E.Z. C. 1410-1465, one of the trusted soldiers and statesmen of Charles B.I.I. He had made his name as a soldier in the English wars when in 1433 he joined with Yolande, Queen of Sicily, the Constable Richmond and others, in chasing from power Charles V.I.S. Minister La Tremwalla. He was knighted by Charles of Anjou in 1434, and presently entered the Royal Council. In 1437 he became Seneschal of Anjou, and in 1440 of Poitou. During the proggering he rendered great service to the royal cause against the Dauphin Louis and the revolted nobles, a service which was remembered against him after Louis's accession to the throne. He fought against the English in Normandy in 1440-1441, and in Guyenne in 1442. 
In the next year he became Chamberlain du Charles VII, and gained the chief power in the state through the influence of Agnes Sorrel, superseding his early allies Richmond and Charles of Anjou. The six years 1444-1450 of his ascendancy were the most prosperous period of the reign of Charles VII. His most dangerous opponent was the Dauphin Louis, who in 1448 brought against him accusations which led to a formal trial resulting in a complete exoneration of Brise and his restoration to favor. He fought in Normandy in 1450-1451, and became seneschal of the province after the death of Agnes Sorrel and the consequent decline of his influence at court. He made an ineffective descent on the English coast at Sandwich in 1457, and was preparing an expedition in favor of Margaret of Anjou when the accession of Louis's eye brought him disgrace and a short imprisonment, in 1462. However, his son shot married Louis's half-sister, Charlotte de Valois, daughter of Agnes Searle. In 1462 he accompanied Margaret to Scotland with a force of 2,000 men, and after the Battle of Hexham he brought her back to Flanders. On his return he was reappointed Seneschal of Normandy, and fell in the Battle of Montlory on the 16th of July 1465. He was succeeded as Seneschal of Normandy by his eldest son Shot de Brissy 1440-1490, Count of Maulevrier, and by his grandson, husband of the famous Diane de Poitiers, Louis de Brissy 1531, whose tomb in Rouen Cathedral, attributed to Jean Goujon and Jean Cousin, is a splendid example of French Renaissance work. The Lordship of Brispassade eventually to Claire Clemence de Moyenne, Princess of Condé, by whom it was sold to Thomas Drew, who took the name of Drew Bris, when it was erected into a Marquisate, H.N.R.I.D.R.A.R.D., Marquis de Drew Bris 1762-1829, succeeded his father as Master of the Ceremonies to a Louis XVI, in 1781. On the meeting of the States General in 1789 it fell to him to regulate the questions of etiquette and precedence between the three estates, that as the immediate representative of the crown he should wound the susceptibilities of the deputies was perhaps inevitable, but little attempt was made to adapt traditional etiquette to changed circumstances. Briz did not formally intimate to President Bailey the proclamation of the royal seance until the 20th of June, when the carpenters were about to enter the hall to prepare for the event thus provoking the session in the tennis court. After the royal seance Brise was sent to reiterate Lewis's orders that the estates should meet separately, when Mirabeau replied that the hall could not be cleared except by force. After the fall of the Tuileries Brise emigrated for a short time, but though he returned to France he was spared during the terror. At the restoration he was made a peer of France, and resumed his functions as guardian of an antiquated ceremonial. He died on the 27th of January 1829 when he was succeeded in the peerage and at court by his son Scipion 1793-1845. The best contemporary account of Pierre de Brise is given in the chronics of the Burgundian chronicler, Georges Chastelin, who had been his secretary. Chastelin addressed a deprecatile on to Louis's eye, on his behalf at the time of his disgrace. V.04p.0515 BRIA Elimolandi, HNRI Alexis 1821-1903. Belgian general and military engineer, son of General Laurent Mathieu Briomont 1885, was born at Venlo in Limburg on the 25th of May 1821, educated at the Brussels Military School. He entered the army as sub-lieutenant of engineers in 1843, and became lieutenant in 1847. From 1847 to 1850 he was private secretary to the war minister, General Baron Chazal. In 1855 he entered the staff corps 
became major in 1861, lieutenant colonel 1864, colonel in 1868 and major general 1874. In this rank he held at first the position of director of fortifications in the Antwerp district December 1874, and nine months later he became inspector general of fortifications and of the Corps of Engineers. In 1877 he became lieutenant general. His far-reaching schemes for the fortification of the Belgian places met with no little opposition, and Brielmont seems to have felt much disappointment in this, at any rate he went in 1883 to Romania to advise as to the fortification works required for the defense of the country, and presided over the elaboration of the scheme by which Bucharest was to be made a first-class fortress. He was thereupon placed in disponibilite in his own service, as having undertaken the Bucharest works without the authorization of his sovereign. This was due in part to the suggestion of Austria, which power regarded the Bucharest works as a menace to herself. His services were, however, too valuable to be lost, and on his return to Belgium in 1884 he resumed his command of the Antwerp military district. He had, further, while in Eastern Europe, prepared at the request of the Hellenic government, a scheme for the defense of Greece. He retired in 1886, but continued to supervise the Romanian defenses. He died on the 21st of September 1903. In the first stage of his career as an engineer Briomont's plans followed with but slight modification the ideas of Vauban, and his original scheme for fortifying and were provided for both in St. and Fort's being on a bastion trace. But in 1859, when the great entrenched camp at Antwerp was finally taken in hand, he had already gone over to the school of polygonal fortification and the ideas of Montlembert. About 20 years later Brielmont's own types and plans began to stand out amidst the general confusion of ideas on fortification which naturally resulted from the introduction of long-range guns, and from the events of 1870-71, the extreme detached forts of the Antwerp region and the fortifications on the Meuse at Liege and Nemur were constructed in accordance with Brielmont's final principles, viz. the lavish use of armor to protect the artillery inside the forts the suppression of all artillery positions open to overhead fire, and the multiplication of intermediate battery sea fortification and SIJCRAFT. In his capacity of Inspector General Briomont drafted and carried out the whole scheme for the defenses of Belgium. He was an indefatigable writer, and produced, besides essays, reviews and other papers in the journals, 23 important works and 49 pamphlets. In 1850 he originated the journal de l'Armée Belgique. His most important publications were La Fortification du Temps Present Brussels, 1885, Influence du Turplongien et de Sobus Torpilles sur la Fortification Brussels, 1888, Els Regions Fortifiés Brussels, 1890, La Defense des Etats et la Fortification à la fin du exécicle Brussels, 1895, Progres de la Defense des Etats et de la Fortification Permanente de Puis Vauban Brussels, 1898. Brian 9261014, King of Ireland, known as Brian Boru, Borlma, or Borlmachi from Boroma, an Irish word for tribute, was a son of a certain Kennedy or Senni D 951. He passed his youth in fighting against the Danes, who were constantly ravaging Munster, the northern part of which district was the home of Brian's tribe, and won much fame in these encounters. In 976 his brother, Mathganhain or Mahone, who had become king of Tovund about 951 and afterwards king of Munster, was murdered, Brian avenged the steed, became himself king of Munster in 978, 
and set out upon his career of conquest. He forced the tribes of Munster and then those of Leinster to own his sovereignty, defeated the Danes, who were established around Dublin, in Wicklow, 